0: Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age podcast. This is C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from sunny, um, although kind of humid, Southern California. Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood. I'm the
1: co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project. I am in Harlem. It is a nice sunny day at 75 degrees, and it has an, there's a nice breeze going on
2: That sounds good. I am Seth Rodney. I am a senior editor at the Hyperallergic Blog and recent author of The Personalization of the Museum, Visit. I am in the South Bronx.
3: Hi, this is Sarah Bond. I'm an associate professor of history at the University of Iowa, and uh, I'm coming to you from lovely Iowa City, Iowa, where it's finally autumn here, even if it isn't in the rest of the country. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. <that's> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Very nice.
0: This is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. Uh, and this week we are continuing our conversation. Um, Uh, roughly organized by the 1619 Project, uh, the New York Times 1619 Project. Um, And in our inaugural podcast, uh, Sarah had uh, suggested the schema of kind of grouping things together based on how things are organized in the actual New York Times Project, and we went with that. Um, And we had a bit of a discussion before this episode, and we decided we are going to talk about cultural appropriation and music uh, in this episode and then kind of naturally extend that conversation in the next episode. So... um, Anyone want to, Stephen, Seth, Sarah, you you guys have something you want to jump in with uh, on the topic of cultural appropriation, or do you want to start with music, or where do you guys want to go?
1: Mmm, so tasty and so delicious, so much (laughs) um, to dig into. I like to start out with a quote from um, Wesley Morris, and so Mm. it focuses on music, but there's some cultural Mm. appropriation quality in it as well in the Mm -hmm. essay. And so, from the um, 1619 magazine, he says blackness was on the move before my ancestors were legally free to be. And I, the reason why mm. I start there is because I and I, I listened to one of the conversations he's had with, um, with some of the other um, contributors about this, and what he said was that he felt that black music actually started with the appropriation of the music and I'm using mm. my words appropriation because he says it started out with T.D. Rice, who was a man who, and he tells a story and this is sort of mythic by now that mm-hmm. T.D. Rice sees a black man who is working on the crow, the um crow plantation, a man whose name is crow mm-hmm. cleaning a horse, you know, and singing and doing some things that I guess appear to be odd and interesting to him. And so I guess T.D. Rice was maybe an actor in his day and he, um he, he emulates what he thinks he's seen, but then sort of, uh, I guess, blows it up, you know, very mm-hmm. big um, mm-hmm. gestures and so forth. He melts a cork, blackens his face. So there's a both an embodiment um, physically, but also, you know, he's jumping around, jumping around, jump, jump, jump just so every time mm-hmm. I turn around, I jump Jim Crow. And this is also in a film by Mar- um, Marlon Riggs called Ethnic Notions, which is a really great film. Uh, late 80s, I believe, where they sort of talk about that moment. And I, I, I thought that was an interesting way for him to say it, but I don't know if it's cultural appropriation. <laughs> if, like, I really want to dig into this idea of what a, cul- a cultural mm. appropriation is through this particular example um, of Wesley Moore. So I wanted to know what you guys thought about it, because I have some thoughts. Uh, mm. That's a
0: wonderful place to start, actually. Mm, I appreciate agreed, that. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so, I mean, the, the first thing that I, you know, um, the first thing I thought of in that, not the first thing I thought of, but one of the things I thought of when he was doing this sort of copy of a copy is, is Baudrillard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You mm-hmm. know, simu- the, the whole idea of the simulacrum. And, right. You know, that there is the idea of there kind of being an authentic zero point is itself a part of the illusion of copies. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah anyway I, so so I I like the 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 train of thought that you picked up on there.
2: Well, I, the thing, the way that you're laying out the question, Stephen, uh, I suspect, given how well I know you, where you're headed with this is that you're suspicious of this being called appropriation because, I, I, and what's occurring to me right now in the moment is that. It's questionable because he's not really, Rice isn't really taking his culture. He's parodying it. He's satirizing it in a way. He's making it into something else. That's, I mean, what essence, what little essence there was of the black man, Antoine, I believe his name is, uh, uh, who was taking care of that horse in that stable by himself. Mm-hmm. He was what? What small essence of that remains in the act that Rice mm-hmm. kind of uh, uh, developed is is very little. I think that the the questions of appropriation become so much more sort of what's the word um, pertinent uh,
0: mm.
2: when we start to move into the territory of Black people's authentic experience being at the root of things like gospel blues bluegrass mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. R&B um being then taken and used by people who are racialized as white or uh, mm-hmm. people you know we call white and made and and used and their music is used to make a profit without any recognition or profit being, or much profit or recognition being passed on to the black people who originated the art forms. So I think that mm. here is where it, it, we be, we have like, it's, it's sort of like a fire on the horizon. It's like, oh, that kind of looks like what we're going to end up calling appropriation, but that's not precisely the right word for it. It's more like, it's more like, it's more like, um, what's the word I used before? Satire
0: or? um, You said satirizing mm, and uh, mm -hmm. parodying. You said parodying. Yeah, parodying, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a parody. Sarah, I mean, we can't. Yeah. (laughs) What do you think?
3: I I think, first of all, I want to say that I haven't realized for a long time what my problem with Michael McDonald was until um, Mm. I really thought about why I. I'm okay with the Doobie Brothers, but haven't really loved Michael McDonald. And it's not just his voice. I think that part of it Mm -hmm. is exactly what Seth is talking about, which comes down to the idea of profit and gratitude. That I think that one of the the things that cultural appropriation has really shown us is that um, we can make this uh, aphorism of... Imitation is the highest form of flattery, or but flattery. if that flattery doesn't pay it forward and actually refer back, if there's no footnote back to the original reference, then it really is plagiarism in a way. And and I guess as a historian, Agreed. part of it is just that watching people like Michael McDonald and, I mean, I'm not going to put this all on Kenny Loggins, but but people who did Yacht Rock, mm-hmm. um, as they now call it, in the <laughs> 70s and 80s, that really is borrowing, as Wesley Morris points out, from Motown in a way that nods to them but doesn't directly recognize them as the progenitors um, of, this, of this movement. And so watching Michael McDonald profit off of Motown albums is very odd because... You have black backup Mm. singers most of the time, Um, and those black backup singers are providing the soul and the gospel and the framework within which a lot Mm -hmm. of white male um, and white female, like Amy Winehouse, would move within. So I agree that we've gone pretty far um, in cultural appropriation in terms of widening the definition, but I do think it's Mm -hmm. worth saying that part of this is about Paying the people um, that should be paid, and so every time there's an appropriation from Earth, Wind, and Fire, every time there is an appropriation from Parliament Funkadelic, and they, these people are not paid, um, that that is just adding kind of insult to injury.
0: So, so obviously, I, I find I I find the issue of cultural appropriation a very, very hairy one and a very difficult one with my sort of understanding and position on, on how I think culture moves in general historically um, and and what culture's function is amongst a community of strangers, which is, I think, to adhere larger communities that are not bound by kinship. And so it, mm-hmm. it's designed to travel, right? It's designed to move uh, in some ways anonymously. And so in... In the in the strands, you know, kind of what we're talking around. On one hand, we seem to be saying, and I'll throw myself into this because as soon as you say something, you know, I, I really resonated with Sarah's notion of the footnote. Like it's mm-hmm. one of the it's one of the difficult things about academic writing, and one of the things that I find most beneficial of academic writing is that you can trace thoughts, which is, yes. and you can yes. trace their origin. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that's a real uh, boon, and I appreciate that about the medium and the mm-hmm. genre. Um, that being said, culture moves a lot of times anonymously. And we seem to be saying that we want it to be appropriately commodified for its originators, Mm. something that I think in general, many of us might find distasteful is the commodification of culture. Uh, and two, the idea of ownership is deeply problematic. I mean, so do quote unquote, I mean, I, we've had previous discussions about this, uh, Seth and Stephen, before you had joined us, Sarah, about uh, just I find the categories of black and white, though they have clear social weight, um, very problematic to think with because I think they muddy the waters. And so what about culturally? (laughs) Yeah. So even so. Well, let me let me that's why I was going to say, quote, unquote, I was I was going to put black and scare quotes because Mm-hmm. Clearly, there are cultures that we would lump into, Dominicans, etc., that we would lump into, quote-unquote, black culture, that we probably wouldn't upset us if they didn't footnote Willie Dixon in their music uh, in their musical tastes. Like, we ascribe a certain kind of permissive ownership. Not every black artist has to footnote, you know, run DMC. You know, JD, Jay-Z doesn't have to do that. But mm-hmm. a white art, a quote-unquote white artist, we would expect that of. Now emotionally, I'm there with you. I cringe, it makes me uncomfortable, like, ah, ugh, that seems not, you know, that's not right. But, but in practice, in reality, I, it's a pretty clunky way to go about parsing our, our collective creations as a society. Well, why do you, you hit, it on, you hit it on
1: the nail for me, why do we expect whites to be more responsive to where they got the music from, or how they were inspired, than say Acelia Cruz or somebody else. They might be using African American right. or African diasporic rhythms in her work. Why do you think that is? It's a question for everybody because I'm still thinking through it. When you said, it, I was like, yeah, because I like what Wesley um, Wesley Morris said. You know, there's a oh, okay, there's a okay, she can sing. Okay, Tina, you go mm-hmm. right ahead. And then there's <laughs> right. a oh boy, here we go again because we know yeah. what the stakes are. We know what the stakes are. It's what Sarah pointed out is that the money's not getting back to the people who did it. And I remember sitting. Yeah, I don't know how many um, TV shows, I mean, uh, culture. What is it? Um, Award shows I would sit through in the '80s, and Richard, little Richard, would stand up and go, "Y'all never gave me nothing." You know. Yeah, (laughs) right. I remember that. I I remember. Then I saw him performing. I'm the originator. I started this. (laughs) Then then you watch him perform, and You go, God damn! I get it. Right. I yeah. freaking get he was, it. He
2: was badass. Yeah, he was. I
1: get it. So but, why, why are we so much more touchy about whites doing this? Go ahead. With Sarah. quotes around I whites. I think there part of it
3: um, <laughs> may be that a part of oppression, like Part of oppression is not Acknowledging the positive Things that other Peoples Mm. and cultures do Um, And so Mm -hmm. taking From people, white people Taking from black culture Is a form of oppression because It's continuing the lack of Acknowledgement for positive Things that have happened for So many decades whereas when black Mm -hmm. Artists take from other black artists um, It is uh, Perhaps not the same oppression act as a white person doing it. That's just a, mm-hmm. a guess at what is happening. Yeah.
2: Right. I want to I uh, uh, say my own guess at this, answering this question, but I also want to give an anecdote, which is kind of a bit of, it's kind of a w- wonderful coincidence. Two weeks ago, I was, I don't know exactly how this happened, um, uh, but I got the song Regulators in my head, um, which was one of my favorite tracks from, I think it was the early 90s um Warren G and Nate um Nate Dogg um mm. regulate uh so i i, I listened to it I, I watched it again on youtube and you know who's who who they sampled for that Michael McDonald
1: check that out uh. yes
2: <laughs> the track is Michael McDonald i keep forgetting so what happened was I, I i watched regulate and then i went looking and i watched i keep forgetting and i watched a couple of things with him and the doobie Brody, doobie brothers um performing together um what a fool believes. Uh-huh. And then I I went back and looked at a video where Warren G's talking about how he sampled um Michael McDonald. Mm-hmm. And you know what? And what he said was that they actually split the profits four ways. Mm-hmm. He took a quarter, Nick Dog took a quarter, Michael McDonald took a quarter and then the Doobie Brothers were given 25% of the, mm. of the receipts of the sales of that mm-hmm. particular track. And I was super impressed with that because I was, I thought this story is going to be like, yeah, you know, we, we took it. And then Michael McDonald like called us up one night and was like, what are you doing? Where's my money? But no, like it was yeah, above I, board. And, I think I, but, but here's, the, but here's the thing, Travis. One second is that what's also super, Fascinating and something I'm sort of wrestling with and I don't have an answer for yet is like wh- how it is that that this kind of recursive motion happens in music where Michael McDonald essentially becomes famous for being a white man who so- sings like a black man. Sings a song and then a black man, a generation away, takes that and puts it into an, another, a whole other kind of formulation of blackness, right? And th- which is, you know, you could argue mm-hmm. there's the beginning of a kind of gangsterism in hip hop. Um, I wouldn't necessarily make that argument, but there's a way in which he's gesturing towards street life being the most authentic kind of blackness. That's mm-hmm. that's fascinating to me that that happens.
0: It is, and it's how a bullshit category gets reified over and over and over and over again. I, I just the, again, this the idea of of thinking about culture, cultural cultural creations usefully or productively as black and white. Mm. Um, I think, n- not necessarily in this small circle, but functionally in the culture at large, I think is a dodge because I think really the issue is poverty. Really the issue is access mm-hmm. to education. Really the issue is, you know, 400 years of the slave trade not being appropriately rectified. Or by dressed. by, or by recognized yeah yeah by the united <laughs> states and so right. borrow sample repeat you know whatever it is in on the cultural level we are talking about the sliver of the sliver of the elite who have already all benefited from that system little richard accepted There are certainly people that that did not get paid as, quote unquote, paid as was appropriate at a, you know, earlier in the 20th century. But that's less the case now. More with the issue of what I would argue is the real issue is that there we are living in the remnants of a system that was never properly addressed by the society and and pointing out how. "Quote unquote white or quote unquote black artists are borrowing or not borrowing from one another, like lets us off the hook too easily. I'm not saying we shouldn't be talking about that. That's, this is the, the topic of the podcast, but right, as but you're a talking culture, about
2: but you're talking about the crumbs that fall from the table.
0: Yes, right? yes.
2: I, I don't absolutely. think of them
1: as cr- I don't think of them as crumbs. I think they're through lines. I think that what Sarah mentioned earlier mm. about the footnotes and some other things. These are simply these are injuries. They're not mm. crumbs, and they mm. do." they do um, indicate where to look at the effects of slavery or the effects of oppression. Mm. They look, they look at these things in very personal ways. And so mm. I, I can kind of get, I was trying to get behind what you were saying Travis with the um, the arguing over who owns what, but we're clear mm. about that. <laughs> I think we are clear about that. I think that we can say when, I think it was in the article and actually I want to turn to um, to, um Johnny Mitchell in a moment.
2: Um, <laughs> um, and, and just and just to oh, go cl- ahead. Cl- clue, in, mm-hmm. clue in our readers so we know what we're talking about. You're talking about Wesley Morris' article so what, in the 1619 yes. mm-hmm. magazine,
1: correct? Right, which starts off with, For centuries, black music forged in bond- and bondage has been the sound of complete artistic freedom no wonder everyone is always stealing it. Right,
0: right. <laughs> and right. it starts off with the
1: greatest line in every article I've ever read is, I've got a friend who's an incurable Pandora guy.
0: I like, "I get to go so many places with that. That's so awesome and wonderful. And
1: by the way, Sarah, I really like Michael McDonald and a lot of these quote unquote blue-eyed soul guys. I think it could be really nuanced in terms Agreed. of the cultural, um, uh, um, not the cultural appropriation, but it's the consumption that I think that the, are in the weeds for a lot of people. It's like, well, if you, if you if you love Tina Marie, then can you still be like stand in and be thoughtful about cultural appropriation? I'm like, you can do all of it. I think you can. Mm. Um, and mm. that's, that's not what you were arguing. About. Right. I was thinking about it earlier. I do you think. know what I mean? Yeah. Cause that's like, Michael McDonald, have you heard him sing on Peg? Oh my God.
3: Uh, Yeah, I I think it's, I I don't deny that he has a wonderful voice. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I would say that I love Kenny Loggins much more, and I grew up with a lot of Almond Brothers (laughs) as well, and Almond Brothers is a lot of Southern Mm -hmm. banjo and violin Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. is based off of Southern fiddle. So, um, I I think perhaps I, I may have too visceral of a reaction to things like um, CCR and a lot of Southern rock in, in mm. general, um, probably mm. because I grew up in the South and I got sick of hearing H- Sweet Home Alabama directly um,
0: <laughs> associated
3: with a lot of yes. racism. And also, I I just, I hate Sweet Home Alabama, and uh, so perhaps this is my own personal preference being a Southerner, that Mm -hmm. a lot of these songs got played out for me. Um, But also, I mean, I've mentioned uh, before to to Seth that one of my favorite documentaries is called 20 Feet from Stardom, um, and it's about black backup singers Mm -hmm. who were never acknowledged. Mm -hmm. And... And I just Mm -hmm. adore it. So Mm -hmm. part of it is probably also gender. Part of it is probably that Mm. I saw a lot Mm -hmm. of men benefiting, like the Rolling Stones, the Rolling Stones in particular that benefited from black women, um, vocals Mm -hmm. in the background. Mm -hmm. And and probably Mm -hmm. that's, that's probably I'm overcorrecting by by my hatred of Michael McDonald.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't get that you hated him. I just got that. When you said it, I just wanted to say, Hey, I like Michael McDonald, you know, not to lighten everything up, but I, I was thinking about the complexity of this thing that we're talking about,
0: mm-hmm. you know?
1: I own all mm-hmm. the Tina Marie albums, and I will own anything they should put out posthumously, because I love her <laughs> voice, you know? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I am very... I, thank you for that, though. I appreciate that. And those women sang the hell out of Sweet Home Alabama, and they were intended to. I'm so glad that you brought that up from 20 Feet From Star. Yes. They mm-hmm. sang but the fuck out that. I was like, yes.
2: Yes, they did. I liked I, Alabama know, after that. but But I want to say, too, like... <laughs> Um, maybe this is muddying the waters a little bit more, but I have a similar response to certain. Uh, I want to say, wow. I'm not sure this is the right word, but I want to say shibboleth. That's um, mm. no, not. It's not really the right word, but it's a touchstone. It's a kind of those. They're particular songs that, growing up uh, as a black boy and then man in the U.S., I was in. I was in spaces where I constantly heard. Uh, Midnight Trainer Georgia and I cannot mm-hmm. tell you like I I, I I was sick of that at least 12, 12 years ago Um okay. or the James Brown um I Feel Good oh my god every single award show where they like gesture towards blackness in the 90s it was Ooh. I feel good <laughs> 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 and I'm like and you know he's doing the shaky leg thing and he's like on the floor and they're like uh... trying to pick him up and I'm like could someone please turn this mess off like I mean, I I want to say that just, this is what pop culture does though, right? Like it reduces things to aphorisms. Mm-hmm. Um, it reduces things to, so, so there's a problem there in, in just in the way that pop culture gestures, it, it, it sort of, um, what's the word? Uses footnotes. Because their mm-hmm. kinds of footnotes are the sort of, uh, this sort of not like here's what happened in such and such a time and you should look it up here but more like here's the aphorism and that's all you get mm-hmm.
0: mm. yeah so i you know I. so again i have two responses to to the direction of the conversation i have an emotional response where i of course uh feel burned out on all of the things that you guys have all noted <laughs> um and uh you know, want variety and novelty and, and, you know, the B side of the album and all this, you know, of the single, mm-hmm. I should say. But at the same time, the, I I would say that something like that James Brown replay, you know, probably did some good in lowering the anxiety of quote unquote, you know, mainstream white people about black culture. I mean, if 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 Stephen wants to say, which I, I think is a fair point, that... Um, uh, I'm sorry, actually, now I forgot the connection I was going to make with what Stephen said earlier. Hopefully it'll come back to me. But it, mm-hmm. it, it, it it's to say that these ways that they get packaged in very um, saccharine nuggets, little bites, right, actually serves... A f- cultural function, though, and it, it lends itself to, uh, like, I-, I would say maybe not a, th- oh, th- right, we were talking about through lines, like how do we trace this stuff down? I would say lends itself to what I would argue is probably a collective good, which is the further exposure of white culture to, and I'm going to use these shorthands because of the conversation, even though I don't like them, uh, white culture to black culture, right? I mean, that it, it makes it more familiar over and over
1: Yes, absolutely.
3: Can, can I ask a, a question here? Mm-hmm. Is it, res- uh, does it breed respect? Okay, because I think one of the big points here is not just that it is being used by white culture and whether that's okay, but does it breed a deference and a respect back to the person that. Um, created it or or helped to form it I, I think that's the the thing that's difficult is like does deference come from these references or are they references without any um, respect back to who created them or who innovated them?
1: I so for me or for Travis because he was making the point but I'll answer it for myself. I don't think it breeds respect no I think that what it does is it it feels like a gesture towards something that I can't really identify other than um, capitalism, other than making money, other than, hey, two fingers pointed at the person. I know what you guys like when black people are so very diverse, just like white folks, you know. So it doesn't, when, um, when Seth was saying earlier, he got tired of all this. I feel good. That was That's all of 80s movies, right? Yes. That
2: was, yes.
1: Soul Man. There are all <laughs> Every these movies. Other one. God I damn. know what that is. There's a black press. I
3: love, oh, so man.
1: I love Rick and Morty because they have this episode where this one mailbox um, character, male, black male, mailman goes, my man, my man, my man, my man. I was like, this is so awesome. Mm. Someone, has cap- someone has captured that noise in my head in the 80s while I would just groan and go, oh, God, this is, this is, this is the, I, I would like to think that there was some sort of cultural connection or maybe some deference or even some connection. I think the connection is is really fraught with a bunch of stereotypes you know mm. and and fraught mm. with things that don't really that don't feel authentic to me
2: so mm. so i want to jump in here and say this and what i really wanted to bring the conversation back to this because we started off talking about blackface and kind of went somewhere else mm-hmm. i think this is the connection i want uh that 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 occurs to me i know this is the conne- connection that occurs to me now which is that and Wesley Morris sums it up really well on page 65 of his article in the 1619 magazine. He says, paradoxically, it's dehumanizing bent. He's talking about minstrel shows now, right? Mm-hmm. Which was started off by um, uh, uh, Rice. Uh, uh, paradoxically, it's dehumanizing bent. Let white audiences feel more human. They could experience loathing as desire, contempt as adoration, repulsion mm. as lust. They could weep for overworked uncle mm. ned as surely as they could ignore his lashed back or his Whoa. body as it swung from a tree so this is the connection right because if you can do something right which is the which is a bit uh, I'm riffing a bit on on the on the argument you made travis which is you can do something culturally by making something that was not palatable more palatable right you're doing a kind of alchemy you're saying you're changing the thing that might that black body that might appear to them at 10 p.m. on Broadway in New York in 1978 might be treated with contempt, with fear, Mm -hmm. with loathing. Mm -hmm. But you change that, right, by putting it on stage and by, like, making the gestures of that black body uh, uh, suitable for entertainment. But that's the alchemy that is precisely the problem with minstrel shows, right? Because we shouldn't have to and when when i say we i mean people who rec- who recognize themselves as black shouldn't have to move the needle off of loathing to desire like you don't basically being a human being means that i get to show up and you don't loathe or desire me you just let me be
0: so mm. yes absolutely and how do you how do we get to that just be if we are constantly parsing what is white and black. I mean, mm. you to to use your own uh, story, Seth, mm. you, we had several conversations about how you felt a weight off of your shoulders when you moved to the UK. Mm. Because there was a way in which you were not, your body was not seen and fetishized and weighted, freighted, freighted, in and, and, and all the valences of that term. Mm-hmm. And, and, in the UK, like, not every culture has... The, now, they've all got problems. Agreed. But they don't all have this problem. Yes. And so I don't know how we get to the other side of what you very uh, clearly and beautifully articulated, I think, about just allowing yourself to be. Mm. Like, how do we get there if this is how we continue to parse things? And I'm not talking about... The historical redress. I'm not talking about addressing 1690. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about constantly boxing and categorizing cultural productions as white and black.
2: Agreed. Agreed. And I think that the example at the end of the essay, Wesley Morris' essay, is really beautiful. He talks about Lil Nas and how Lil Nas essentially Tr- just just jumped over those cultural um, mm-hmm. boxes. That ju- just just kind of span genres with his um, with his track. Y'all help me out. What is it called? Um, Old I've Town. Never heard it. Old t- <laughs> Country Road. Yeah, th-
0: that's that's it. That's it. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Yeah.
2: Right. Right. Um, and basically country, country folks, country radio stations didn't want they to. Flipped it. Yeah, they, right. flipped they flipped out. Yeah. That's right. They flipped out. But he still, it still became like the number one video or music single, um, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. in those parts. So I, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's. It's, that's a conundrum, is what I want to say. Like, I want to, I want to say there's this shining example of someone who somehow vaulted these, these, um, this, these slows of despond. Um, but I don't know, like, I don't know how, how we do it. Mm.
3: Right. And I agree that, uh, there needs to be, this dialogue instead of a movement linearly from black culture to white culture, or the perception that it only moves in that direction. I think little nods X mm. is a good example. And you already brought in Warren G um, of it moving mm. back and forth. Um, I think mm-hmm. that the binary pair, the the polars of white and black or the perception of a binary pair that isn't really extant will begin to dissipate when a dialogue is created rather than the idea that it only moves from the creation within black culture into white culture um once it it moves back and forth i think that the the fluidity will begin to break down the the fake walls a a bit Mm
2: -hmm. Mm i like that i like that yeah
1: can, can I just tell you one story about Joni please, Mitchell? Please, yeah, yeah, and yeah. So let's do. It. Let, Let's, okay. let's let, make this. This will be our it. segue. Yeah. So, so Steven, so. bring bring yeah, us yeah. home. So I'm just so excited <laughs> and happy. I wish you guys could see my face. So, <laughs> a couple years ago, I remember hearing a story about um, Joni Mitchell saying that she identified with black men, and so whenever she she saw them, she would do a nod, like the for for one of a better term, the nigga nod. Right, like, what's up? Right, <laughs> so I went and found it today because I was like, "Ooh, I gotta like say something about this because oh, oh, I think it'll be useful." So the very first article that came up with Joni Mitchell and black Men is this article in um in Uh-oh. the BBC Uh-oh. when Joni Mitchell wore blackface for Halloween. Are BBC you serious? October twenty eight, two thousand sixteen, and oh here it is. God. This is this is a oh, quote no. from Joni Mitchell. I was walking down Hollywood Boulevard when a black guy walked by me with a diddy bop kind of step and said in the most wonderful way, looking good, sister, looking good. She told Q Magazine in 1988. (gasps) His spirit was infectious and I thought, I'll go (sighs) as him. (laughs) I bought the makeup, the wig, the sleazy hat, (laughs) and a sleazy suit. And that (gasps) night I went to a Halloween party and no one knew it was me.
2: Oh that's my all God. that's no. all I have to say okay and on that all note right.
0: yeah, sh- that depressing <laughs> fucking shit. story what
2: the hell God, Man. Damn. <laughs> if it pleases the court I'd like to return to this at another
1: um, episode <laughs> um, so, but thank so, you yeah, yeah so
0: yeah. Uh, Sarah, Stephen, Seth thank yes. you as always for the conversation and uh, we'll pick up next week okay.
3: thank you thank you
0: thank you, you. Yeah.